I will start the Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. You may join if you wish. Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambodasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambodasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambodasa So tonight is a special Dhamma talk. It's the Vesak talk because it's the full moon day of May. And on this full moon day of May, Buddhists all around the world gather to commemorate the Buddha's birth, enlightenment and passing away. So on this day, the Prince Siddhartha, the Buddha-to-be, was born. On this day, the Bodhisattva became the fully awakened one. And on this day, the Buddha passed away or entered Parinibbana. And today, it is exactly 2,560 years since the Buddha entered Parinibbana. So among these three events, the Buddha's complete awakening or enlightenment was the event that had the most far-reaching effects. So the awakening to things as they really are, this was a groundbreaking experience. And it not only had profound and far-reaching effects for the life of the Buddha, but it also has had and still has far-reaching and profound effects for many, many living beings. So with this groundbreaking experience, an ordinary human being's quest for real happiness and peace had culminated in the highest realization. And it not only uprooted suffering and its causes, but it also brought to end this endless cycle of birth and death, the endless cycle of samsara. And the Buddha expressed this in the verse that we also recited this morning in the Buddha Biseka Mangala Gata. Through many a birth in samsara have I wandered in vain, seeking the builder of this house of life. Repeated birth is indeed suffering. 
O house builder, you are seen. You will not build this house again, for your rafters are broken and your ridgepole shattered. My mind has reached the unconditioned, Nibbana, the end of craving has been attained. So the Buddha had rediscovered a long lost past, long lost past, path to liberation, or as he once was referring to this ancient path to liberation because it has also been this path that the Buddhas of the past had traveled. So it's this path that culminates in the freedom from suffering. So the Buddha had found this path, he had traveled it to its very end, and he has then taught it for the rest of his life so that others could travel this path as well. So the Buddha or the Buddha to be was born in Lumbini, a place which is present day southern Nepal. The Buddha's mother, Queen Maya Devi, she wanted to give birth to this child at her parents' place. That was custom at that time, that the woman would travel to the place of her parents. And so, as she was traveling, then labor started already on the way. And so, then it was there in that park, uh, what is now Lumbini, that she gave birth to this child. And so this happened on the full moon day of May. And it is said that the little baby boy, after he was born, made seven steps and then proclaimed I am the highest in the world. I am the best in the world. I am foremost in the world. This is my last birth. Now there is no renewed existence for me. And as it was also custom at that time, the parents, King Suddhodana um, and his wife, so they asked astrologers what this child would become. So they asked eight astrologers and seven of them said that this child would either become a universal monarch, a great ruler, or a fully enlightened Buddha. And one of them said that this child would definitely become a fully enlightened Buddha. Of course, his father, King Suddhodana, wanted his son 
to become his successor. And so he undertook everything to provide the little prince with all possible sense pleasures, with good food, with nice clothes, with entertainment, and so on. So he did everything to prevent his son from becoming dissatisfied with life, with life in the palace. And we are probably all familiar with the story when the Buddha left the palace to see what life was outside of the palace. And as we know, there he encountered an old man, a sick man, and a deaf person. And the sight of these three kinds of persons greatly stirred him up because it is said that old, sick, that there were no old and sick persons in the palace, no dead person. So to see that persons can get old and sick or even die was greatly uh, stirring his heart and his mind. And so he asked his charioteer, Janna, uh, what it was about. And then Janna told him that his body had the same nature, that he too would become older, he would get sick and he would die one day. And so when the prince heard that, he was greatly shaken. But after seeing these three kinds of persons, he saw another kind of person, a monk. And the prince was struck by the serene um, demeanor of this person, by his radiance. And so after these encounters then the prince decided to leave the palace and find a way to become completely free from all kinds of suffering. And so then for the next six years after he had become an ascetic. Then he practiced with the most famous teachers of his day. He also uh, practiced various ascetic practices and he really struggled to penetrate the deepest truth, to find a way out of suffering, out of suffering, out of all kind, all the different kinds of suffering inherent to life or to human life. So with some of the teachers he practiced uh, the jhanas, the absorptions, and he soon mastered 
all eight levels of the jhanas and so was able to stay in absorption for long periods of time and enjoy the resultant bliss or happiness or peace. But still, the Buddha was not satisfied with these practices because he realized the limits of these very tranquil states of mind. He realized, yes, they led to states of great bliss and happiness and peace, but he realized that this was only a temporary happiness or bliss, and that these absorptions alone had no power to bring about a deep shift in his heart and mind, or had no power to bring about this deep understanding or wisdom which would be necessary to overcome all forms of uh, suffering. So, dissatisfied with all these practices and teachers, he left them and gave up these ascetic practices, practiced a middle way, in the middle of the extremes of self-mortification and the extreme of indulging in sense uh, pleasures. And so he simply started to observe these processes in his body, heart and mind. And then it was based on this careful and deep investigation that understanding and wisdom arose. So as we know, realizing um, the Four Truths, the Four Noble Truths, also deeply understanding dependent origination. And this final breakthrough, this happened in the third watch of the night. Like they divided the night into three watches. The first watch of the night was from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. The second watch of the night was from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And the last watch of the night was from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. So the final breakthrough happened in the third watch of the night, just when the morning star appeared in the sky. And this happened too on the full moon day in May. And so he had deeply penetrated the Four Noble Truths. And last week I have talked about these Four Noble Truths. So by now you should know what they are. And if I were a Burmese Sayadaw, then I would go, Yogis, what are the Four Noble Truths? 
And then the Burmese yogis, they would repeat the noble truth of suffering, and so on. So, yes, the truth of suffering, the truth of the cause of suffering, the truth of the cessation of suffering, <coughs> and the truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering. And as we have seen, the Buddha did not only say, these are the tr four truths I have discovered, but he explained them, and he said what one should do with them. So as we have seen, the truth of suffering, this refers to Nama and Rupa, or to the five aggregates um, of clinging based on ignorance. And so these, these truths, or Nama and Rupa, they need to be realized. Then, the truth of the cause of suffering, the Buddha stated that Tanha, craving, is the cause of suffering. And this truth needs to be abandoned. So tanha, based on ignorance, this needs to be abandoned. The third truth is the cessation of suffering, and the Buddha called it nibbana, or it can be said this is the complete cessation of greed, hatred, and delusion. And this one needs to be experienced directly and personally. personally. And the fourth truth, the truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering. So this refers to the Noble Eightfold Path. And this truth needs to be developed or cultivated. So having deeply penetrated this truth, then he reflected to whom he could teach this truth, who would understand. And so the five ascetics came to his mind with whom he had been practicing together for some time. But when he gave, when the Buddha gave up the ascetic practices, they thought he was reverting to indulgence in sense pleasures, and so they left him. And so the Buddha then uh, went to the place where these five ascetics were, and so they, uh, they saw the Buddha, or their companion, companion, coming in the distance, and as I said, because they thought that he had uh, given up this real practice and had gone back to indulgence in sense pleasures, so they said to each other, Oh look there, Gautama is coming, but um, 
you know, we won't greet him, we won't stand up to greet him as would have been customary. But we prepare a seat for him, so if you want to come and sit with us, he can come, so. So they had a seat prepared for him. And then when the Buddha came nearer, they just could not stay there seated. Somehow they just had to get up and they went up to him and took his arms ball and uh, greeted him kindly and uh, told him uh, to have a seat, to sit down. But they still addressed him as Avuso, which means friend. The common greeting amongst ascetics. So then the Buddha sat down and the first thing he told them was that they should not address him as Avuso, as friend, because, so the Buddha stated, he had become a fully enlightened Buddha. He had become fully awakened. But these five ascetics did not believe him because even before when he was still practicing these austere practices, at that time even he had not reached full enlightenment. So they thought how could he have reached enlightenment by um, indulging in sense pleasures. But then the Buddha told them that before his awakening he had never claimed to have become a Buddha or to have attained perfect enlightenment. Only now that this knowledge of perfect enlightenment had arisen in him, um, would he claim to be an Arahant or a Buddha? And so that made sense to these five ascetics and so they accepted him as a fully enlightened Buddha, as a teacher and as uh, one superior to them. And so only then uh, did they address him as Bhante, Venerable Sir. And so then after that the Buddha talked to them and told them what he had discovered, basically giving his first discourse, which was about the Four Noble Truths. And with that, he set in motion the wheel of the Dhamma. And so, the Devas living on Earth, some celestial beings, they are Earth-bound, they do not live somewhere in um, celestial abodes, so then, these earth-dwelling devas, they raised a cry and they shouted, At Baranasi, in the deer park, at Isipatana, 
this unsurpassed wheel of Dhamma has been set in motion by the Blessed One, which cannot be stopped by anyone in the world. So, with this Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta, this discourse of setting in motion the wheel of the Dhamma, the Buddha had set in motion this wheel of the Dhamma. And it's still turning after this present day. So we can see the Buddha's enlightenment had far-reaching effects. And besides these Four Noble Truths, there is another important and basic teaching that needs to be understood and experienced. And it's the teaching on dependent origination. So this is also, this is something that we chanted in the morning. And in this teaching of dependent origination, um, there are 12 links. And we chanted them in forward order and in backward order. So this teaching of dependent origination is a very precise exposition of the conditional pattern independence upon which suffering arises or suffering ceases. As we chanted, thus arises this whole mass of suffering or thus ceases this whole mass of suffering. So this teaching of dependent origination, which can be very detailed and very extensive, but it can also be summarized in a couple of sentences, very basic, simple, and yet very profound. So this is the summary. When this is, that comes to be. Without this, that does not come to be. So the Buddha understood and then was teaching the path to complete liberation or liberation uh, from suffering. But the Buddha also understood and was also teaching various things um, that lead to mundane happiness and peace.
So some of the teachings of the Buddha, they uh, help people to experience mundane happiness and peace in their day-to-day life. And so with these teachings, with these practices, people engage in wholesome, uh, beneficial actions, such as practicing generosity or keeping their sila pure or cultivating metta, kindness, friendliness or compassion, uh, karuna. So by engaging in these kinds of practices this leads to some degree of happiness, contentment and peace in people's day-to-day life. And on top of that, these practices, they also lay a, an important foundation for uh, the meditation practice or for deep understanding and wisdom to arise. And then other teachings of the Buddha, they directly aim at the penetration of the deepest truth or at realizing the true nature of all uh, phenomena so that understanding, insight and wisdom develops which eventually then leads to the cessation of all kinds of suffering and that is real happiness or deep and lasting peace. So the Buddha was always concerned with the happiness and welfare of living beings. So all all his talks, all his words of encouragement uh, were always done to help and support uh, living beings. And so this altruistic dimension of the Buddha is described in with these words. He is the one person who arises in the world for the welfare of the multitude, for the happiness of the multitude, out of compassion for the world, for the good, welfare and happiness of devas and humans. And the Buddha was also concerned that those of his disciples who then became fully liberated, that they too would work for the happiness and welfare of other living beings. So when his first, or when 60 
of his disciples had become arahants, fully enlightened, he sent them out into the world. <coughs> he said to them, Wander forth, O bhikkhus, for the welfare of the multitude, for the happiness of the multitude, out of compassion for the world, for the good, welfare and happiness of devas and humans. Let not two go the same way. Teach the Dhamma that is good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end, with the right meaning and phrasing. Reveal the perfectly complete purified holy life. There are beings with little dust in their eyes who are falling away because they do not hear the Dhamma. There will be those who will understand the Dhamma. I too, because I will go to Sena Nigama in Uruvela in order to teach the Dhamma. <coughs> and then after the Buddha had become the Buddha, for the rest of his life, for 45 years, he taught the Dhamma to people from all walks of life. He did not discriminate between people and he did not discriminate between the prevailing castes. As a matter of fact, he accepted anybody as his uh, disciples, male and female alike. And by doing so, he really challenged the prevailing caste system in, um, in India. And he also challenged the very restricted role of women. So therefore, he not only demolished the barriers of discrimination, but he opened the gates to spiritual practice for all who were interested in it. When the Buddha was 80 years old, he announced that in three months' time he would enter Parinibbana. Venerable Ananda, who was the Buddha's personal attendant for 25 years, he was greatly aggrieved by the prospect that the Buddha would pa pass away. But then the Buddha consoled Venerable Ananda with these words. Enough, Ananda, do not grieve, do not lament. For have I not taught from the very beginning that with all that is dear and beloved there must be change and separation? Of that which is born come into being and subject to decay, how can one say, may it not come to dissolution? 
There can be no such state of things. Now for a long time, Ananda, you have served the Tathagata with loving-kindness, indeed, word and thought, graciously, pleasantly, and with a whole heart and beyond measure. Great good have you gathered, Ananda. Now you should put forth energy, and soon you too will be free from the taints. <coughs> And then, very shortly before the Buddha passed away, he spoke these famous words, which I mentioned last night in my talk on Apamada. So the Buddha said, all conditioned things are subject to dissolution. Strive on with diligence. Then, at the moment when the Buddha passed away, a big earthquake shook the world and thunder rolled across the sky. And this too happened on a full moon day in May. The remains were then cremated and the relics were distributed. So with his passing away, the Buddha gave a last teaching to his disciples, <coughs> namely, all conditioned things are subject to dissolution. He, as a Buddha, was no exception, and he had no intention to remain forever or to assign himself a different status. So the Buddha too was immortal and no, he was mortal. <laughs> he was not immortal. So he was mortal and he had to let go of his life too. But being fully liberated and having no more craving, no more tanha, no more craving for existence at the time of his passing away. So his aggregates ceased to exist. So the passing away of an arahant, including a Buddha, this is called entering Parinibbana. It is also called Kanda Nibbana because the Kandas, the aggregates, the five aggregates, they cease to exist. So that's Kanda Nibbana. So when an Arahant enters Parinibbana, passes away, then the aggregates, the five aggregates, simply cease to exist. In the same way, the, the flame of a candle ceases to give light when it is blown out. 
when a person attains complete liberation or um, attains Nibbana, then this is called Kilesa Nibbana. Because at that time, at um, full liberation or complete enlightenment, all the Kilesas, all the defilements cease to exist. So then they are extinguished. So, in a fully liberated person, an Arahant, the Kilesas are no longer present. They have ceased to exist. But, as the person, <coughs> the fully enlightened person is still alive, so there are still the Khandas, the aggregates, so they are still performing their function. The life of the Buddha and his teachings, they happened in a world that looked quite different from the world today. Over these past 2560 years, there has been a tremendous material progress and um, development. And so, we could ask, is the Buddha's teaching still relevant for us in the 21st century? And of course, we do not go and look for the answer. It's quite obvious. Yes, the Buddha's teaching is as relevant to us as it was so long ago. Because Although outer changes has, have been uh, so many, but the nature of the human mind, the nature of the mind of living beings, this is basically still the same. So what follows now? are some short passages from the Buddha's discourses, highlighting some aspects of his teaching. The first one comes from a discourse in the Majjhima One sentence, very short. Nothing is worth clinging to. Another sutta from the Majjhima uses the simile of the raft. The Buddha saying that his teaching is like a raft to bring one to the other shore the other shore, meaning Nibbana, complete liberation. And so a raft is used to cross the river and then it's done its purpose. So 
So if somebody would think, oh yes, this raft is very important, it has taken me to the other side of the river, so now I have to carry it wherever I go, so that's of no use. And so the Buddha said, yeah, leave the raft there when you have crossed over the river to the other shore. And so here come the Buddha's words, saying, So I have shown you how the Dhamma is similar to a raft, being for the purpose of crossing over, not for the purpose of grasping. And in the Anguttara Nikaya is the simile of the ocean. Just as the great ocean has but one taste, namely the taste of salt, even so this Dhamma and discipline has but one taste, the taste of liberation. Another sutta from the Anguttara Nikaya is about happiness and suffering. So a monk asks Sariputta, one of the main disciples of the Buddha, Sariputta, what is happy, happiness and what is suffering? And Venerable Sariputta's answer, to be reborn is suffering, not to be reborn is happiness. And then from another sutta in the Majjhima where this wanderer Vachagotta, we have encountered him in one of the past talks, so this wanderer approached the Buddha and asked him a particular question. And so this is um, the questions and the discussion, the conversation that evolved. The wanderer Vajagotta asked the Buddha, what happens to the liberated mind after death? Where does it reappear? The Buddha said, the term reappears does not apply Vajagotta. And the Buddha went on, what do you think? Suppose a fire were burning before you. Would you know this fire is burning before me? Vajagotta said, yes, I would, Master Gautama. And the Buddha, 
If someone were to ask you, what does this fire burning before you burn independence on? Being asked this, what would you answer? And Vachagotta. Being, being asked thus, I would answer, this fire burning before me burns independence on grass and sticks. The Buddha, if that fire before you were to be extinguished, would you know this fire before me has been been extinguished? Vachagotta. I would know, Master Gautama. And the Buddha, if someone were to ask you, when that fire before you was extinguished, to which direction did it go? To the east, the west, the north, or the south? Being asked thus, what would you answer? And Vachagotta said, that does not apply, Master Gautama. The fire burned independent on its fuel of grass and sticks. When that is used up, if it does not get any more fuel, it is reckoned as extinguished. Next, again a text from the Anguttara Nikaya, how one can live for the good of oneself and of others. It says, and how does a person live both for his own good and for the good of others? He himself practices for the removal of lust, hatred and delusion and also encourages others to do so. He himself abstains from killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, false speech and intoxicants and also encourages others in such restraint. And then text from the Samyutta Nikaya about effort. And here it is a deva who approached the Buddha and asked, Dear Sir, how did you cross the flood? And the Buddha said, By not halting, and by not straining, I crossed the flood. And the Deva asked, But how is it that by not halting and by not straining you crossed the flood? And the Buddha said, When I came to a standstill, then I sank. But when I struggled, then I got swept away. It is in this way that by not halting and by not straining, I crossed the flood. 
And the last of these texts comes from the Sutta Nipata, a collection belonging to the Kudakanikaya. And this is one of my favorite um, verses. It's about a quiet, even state of mind. Develop the quiet, even state of mind when praised by some, condemned by others. Free the mind from hate and pride and gently go your way in peace. And gently go your way in peace. So beautiful. So to become free from all kinds of suffering, we have plenty of advice and teachings and instructions from the Buddha. The Buddha's teaching, his inheritance, has been handed down through the generations up to this uh, present day. So when we take it to heart, and when we practice accordingly, then too we can uh, taste the liberating fruit of real happiness and deep peace. Let's sit quietly for a few moments. Thank you for your kind listening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.